Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Andrew Tobias. I'm Mary Kilpatrick. And Seth Richardson's out this week. Thanks for tuning in. First off, we want to thank the Cleveland Public Library for helping us host this podcast. Those guys are great. They give us the equipment. They give us staff. They give us time. Without them, we couldn't do this, and we really appreciate it. So thanks to the Cleveland Public Library. If you want to subscribe to us and rate us, that'd be great. It helps people find us. You can do that on Google Play, Apple Store, TuneIn, all that stuff, any podcasting platform you can think of. Please do that. And finally, if you have any feedback, you can send it to Seth Richardson. It's srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that's srichardson at cleveland.com. Feedback, guest ideas, recipes, anything like that. He'd love to hear from you. Dog pictures. <laughs> and your dog pictures. So for this episode, we're kind of doing, in the true 90s sitcom style, a montage episode. We're looking back at some of the past guests we've had on this show, specifically women guests, and kind of looking for common themes about how this so-called year of the woman uh, is playing out in Ohio, uh, what it means for women who want to run for office, why it is that we don't have more, and we are looking for common themes. We're going to look back a little bit. We're also going to look forward about kind of how things are uh, standing right now in this race. And Mary, you've spent a ton of time looking into this issue. So I guess, what are you? What are your big picture thoughts about running for office as a woman in Ohio? So when I was preparing for this interview, I was kind of looking back at the guests that we had interviewed on the podcast um, and looking at the gender makeup of those guests. And we have had five women on the show and 17 men? Whatever the rest are. Whatever the rest. Yeah. So we've had five women and majority men, which which kind of fits with the statistics of women's representation in politics. So whenever I talk about women in politics, I like to go through the numbers because I always find them shocking. So the Ohio State Legislature is has six women and a total of 33 senators. The Ohio... Um, State House has t- 99 total members and 23 of them are women. Um, that's about a 22% uh, representation of women in the state legislature. That's crazy, especially because in Ohio, 51% of the population is women. Women make up more of this state than men do, but our representation in elected office is still lacking. And so what we want to do with this episode is try to figure out why that is. Because yeah, certainly women candidates can be flawed candidates. Their reasons for not winning certainly can be that they're not good candidates. And we've talked about that, you know, over the last year, like we've had some women candidates who had some problems, but like they can't all be like, Bad, yeah, you know? and I was kind of surprised. Uh, you don't really just sit down and think about this very often. It's one of those things that's sort of self-evident. We have three women members of Congress from Ohio. All of them are Democrats. Most of our con- congressional delegation are Republican. There are no women that represent any of those offices. We had a few women run for uh, in Republican primaries for Congress this year, and they all lost. So you kind of look up and down, and you do ask yourself kind of why is it that that's just kind of keeps playing out in this way? And like you said, certainly there are one-off explanations. You can even look back at the women candidates who ran for state office this year, and a lot of them are kind of punching above their weight as far as their political stature goes and stuff like that. But again, it just happens over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, you can't just pull the woman card. Like, she lost because she's a woman and everyone is sexist. That's not the case for any candidate. But there are factors that women candidates have to deal with that their male counterparts don't. Women often say, women candidates often say that um, they're not asked to run for office. um, And because they're not asked, um, they're not sort of connected to these circles of power which sounds very like mysterious but it is a huge sort of force in politics is it like the orb that president trump touched in saudi arabia the circle of power yeah yeah no but but the circle of power without these sort of connections it's very hard to open the door for fundraising it's very hard to open the door for help to mobilize a campaign and and back to the the sort of question of why it matters that women aren't asked to run for office like You know, why don't they just wake up one morning and do it themselves? Well, women candidates have told me, like, men politicians wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, I'm going to be the next president of the United States. And women candidates are like, "Uh, like, you know, I have these qualifications, but 
I don't have all of the qualifications for a position. So, you know, maybe next year because they want to check all of the boxes. They want to be perfect, whereas men are sort of more willing to hedge. So just kind of looking back, we're going to group uh, some of our past interviews basically into two sections. One is Republican, the other Democrat. And we're going to play back uh, some of those interviews where we ask them about these questions and basically explore what they have to say. And I think kind of the similarities that you may hear from them sort of speak for themselves. So first off, in the Republican group, we had on uh, Mary Taylor, who's lieutenant governor of Ohio, who ran and lost for governor in the Republican primary. And then we have Jane Timken, who is the chairman of the Ohio Republican Party. And she's also the first woman chair of, I think, any political party, but definitely the Republican Party in Ohio. Um, So I'm sure listeners might kind of correct me on the spot if I'm wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's true. So uh, let's uh, listen to what they have to say. I'm curious whether or not you think the Republican Party has a good old boy problem. Um, I'm curious, too, for your perspective about what it's like to be a woman in the Republican Party. Um, There are not that many. So I, good old boy, I use that because I think it's pretty descriptive and I think it's pretty accurate. Um, you look at Mike DeWine and John Husted have held elective office for over 60 years and have no private sector experience to speak of. And so it's not only is it, a, I think it's, it's descriptive, I think it's also helps us, you know, distinguish that ticket from our ticket. I spent 16 years in the private sector um, and Nathan, my running mate, obviously just took an early retirement from Procter and Gamble and spent almost 27 years in the private sector creating jobs. There's a pretty stark contrast between what that ticket represents and what this, what we represent. So I, I, I think it's appropriate to ha- to use um, those terms. I would like to, and you've, you've probably heard me say this, I would like to see more women get involved in Republican politics. And um, I would like to see more women be be the voice at the table and I think we bring a different voice I'm a mom I'm a wife I I have different experiences um, because I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I'd love to see more women get involved in the Republican Party and I I will continue to encourage women to get involved and be a voice at the table and we've uh, explained this incident I feel like at least once on this podcast but recently um a couple of Republican state legislators made some offensive comments about women at a semi-private event uh, for another uh, Republican official. Uh, and you tweeted, you actually, uh, this outrageous t- treatment of women must stop. And then you go on and said the good old boys. Actually, I'll just read the whole tweet. Why not? We have, we have time, right? The good old boys in state government still don't get it. And the fact that it's happening while we're having an important national discussion on this topic is indicative of the pervasiveness of the problem. So you were in the state house uh, in the 2000s. Um, did you um, were you surprised to see that, based on your experiences being there, that it uh, continues, you know, to be an issue like this? Um, that's a great question. I I was I I I was exposed maybe once or twice to what I felt was inappropriate behavior or comments during my time in the legislature. Um, but I just, you know, I walk away from it. I don't, I don't stand to let, you know, I'm not going to let that happen. I just walk away. And I think it was comments more than anything. Am I surprised today? Um, the answer should be yes. I'm surprised. I think maybe the answer is not necessarily surprised because the, you know, the state Republican Party just endorsed the good old boys in, you know, in this two-way primary for governor. Um, I, I, I think that we really need to put an end to this. I think that statements are outrageous that we I was referring to in that tweet. And people, you know, men need to stop talking about women in derogatory ways and need to not put women in awkward positions related to a job that they, you know, related to their job because of inappropriate conversation or inappropriate behavior. And yeah, I think it is, I think it's time to put a stop to it. And I think we are having a serious conversation and the women who have come forward and have spoken about things that have happened to them in the past, it it just, it's, it just screams to me all the louder. It needs to stop. And so we're hearing about these things years after the fact for probably pretty obvious reasons. And we, we want to get to the point where it's either it, it has to end or if women today find themselves in those unfortunate positions, they can immediately speak out about it and um, the, the issue can be immediately dealt with. 
So I, I know our Democratic listeners uh, who are right now are thinking themselves, what about President Trump? You know, obviously, uh, he wasn't the only uh, national leader in media or politics or business, you know, just across the spectrum. You've seen a lot of different uh, powerful men be accused of this kind of behavior. Um, so do you feel like your party has the authority to talk about these issues, given, um, you know, the president has, has faced accusations like this? I'm not going to speak for the Republican Party, but I'm going to speak for me, Mary Taylor, um, a woman who had a pretty successful professional private sector career and has done okay um, in the political arena. And it doesn't matter who it is or where it is. And we're seeing it. It's across. I mean, across the board, you go media, politics, um, Hollywood, it's everywhere. It's got to stop. It just has to stop. And we need to come to a meeting of the minds about putting an end to it dealing with dealing with what happened, you know, maybe some time ago, but putting an end to it so it doesn't happen in the future. Girls today should not be subject to um, these types of issues going forward. And we're, we're all, we all have the power to stop that. And so should the, you know, I'm not going to speak for the Republican Party, but I'm going to speak for me. The other thing we wanted to ask, obviously, politics is a very male-dominated profession, Mm -hmm. and you know, Republican politics in Ohio is is also any politics in Ohio, Democratic or Republican, is very male-dominated as well. I was just curious, you know, what's it like to be a woman? You know, sometimes the only woman in the room. How do you handle that situation? You know, it's interesting that sometimes it doesn't even cross my mind. Um, and I think it's partially because, you know, I was a practicing attorney and oftentimes I was in a deposition where I was the only female in the room. Um, I tend to, I, I think, I, I don't know if it's I command respect from men, but I just sort of take the position that I, I deserve a seat at the table. And I, that may be part of my upbringing with my father teaching me to say I disagree. It's a lot of my own sense of self-respect. Um, I... I often go around and give speeches to groups of women um, talking about encouraging them to get involved in politics. And I have a, a phrase that I say, you can't be it if you don't see it. And I look, I want to be in this position because I, I think that women who are looking to get into politics, if they don't see someone in that position, they don't think that they could do it. Um, and I really encourage women to do that. Um, the other thing that I talk to women about is that Women tend to have checklists that they want to make sure they check up all the boxes before they jump in and take that risk and that plunge. And um, I, I say to them that you're never going to check off all the boxes. I w- didn't check off all the boxes before I jumped in and became chairman, but I knew that I had the skill sets that I think would fit to the job. And, um, you know, I had good people encouraging me, but sometimes you just have to take the risk. Um, Yeah, you know, um, the Republican Party in Ohio has had a lot of high-profile women, you know, Joanne Davidson, Betty Montgomery in the past, who were really forces in Ohio politics. Um, You know, today, there there are not as many women in the Ohio Republican Party. Do you think there should be more of a focus on increasing that pipeline and making sure there are more women um, who could potentially be good candidates for the Republican Party here in Ohio? So, well, first of all, I would say that Joanne Davidson and Betty Montgomery are still forces within the party. Sure. Um, so, uh, I, you know, Joanne Davidson is an amazing person, um, and uh, she is, is an RNC committee member. Um, she's the committee woman from Ohio and still has a, an active role in the RNC. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously Betty Montgomery is active. She's still on our state central committee. Um but I do think that part of my job is to recruit uh, female candidates. And, you know, it, last year we participated in over 70 municipal races because I thought it was really important for us as a state party to um, get involved on a local level. Uh, it does two things. It, um, and it helps build our bench but it also helps us contact voters. So we were out in the field all through 2017. And, um, you know, we 
worked really hard to help um, Amy Murray, an incumbent um, Cincinnati City Councilwoman, um, get reelected. Um, I find that really encouraging that we elected her and um, an African-American um, named Jeff Pastor. They're doing a great job in Cincinnati City Council. Um, but I would like to recruit more women. And part of that is me going around the state, having those conversations with women's groups and saying, you know, you have a skill set and you should bring more of that to the table. We actually have a significant number of female township trustees, commissioners, um, and uh, city council people, mayors um, that are women. And, you know, we need to encourage them to take the leap to a statewide run. Would you say that's a priority for you, building that Republican bench of women? It is one of my priorities. And it, and when I look to next year, that's going to be something that we're going to start to talk about is candidate recruitment. You know, um, I think it's interesting to, to talk about this because in 2018, if you look at the Republican statewide slate, it's, it's all male. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts as to, to why that is or how that happened. Sure. I, you know, from my perspective, I think um, we do have Mary De Janeiro, who's a Supreme Court justice now and is will be running, the, uh, you know, for her to retain her seat. Um, I think that it it takes some building, and I think it takes some encouragement, and having a female chair may change the narrative for a lot of female candidates. Um, and as I said, you know, candidate recruitment and is always a building process, and that's why, as I said before, for us to spend time in township trustee races and city council races, it, it, it helps encourage people. You know, it, it's rare that someone... Um, runs from a you know a the mayor of Finley for a statewide race but it could happen um, we do have females in the house and senate in the state house and um, I'm encouraged by how they've been developed um, I'd like to see more of more women run for those positions as well you know I was reading this article on 538 about um female representation in, in state houses across the country. And, um, you know, statistically, there are more female Democrats, you know, in state government than Republican women in state government. I, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts as to why that is. You know, I, d I don't really know. I think maybe um, it, the, that we have, as Republicans, need to do a better job to encourage more women to run. Um, and um, I'd like to see more female state chairs in across the state. Um, I have a really good relationship with the women that are um, state chairs. And um, I think it's a priority of theirs as well. Um, it, you know, we have to encourage women to take that leap, um, especially uh, conservative women um, to say that they have a voice at the table and that they have a lot uh, to offer. Um, you know, from my perspective, uh, I've always said this, that, you know, the Margaret Thatcher quote, which is, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. No offense to the men. <laughs> I mean, I barely got here today, so it's okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, women just tend to cut through the baloney and just get things done. And, um, you know, I we have less, I'm going to be very frank, I, there are a lot of times when women are less driven by ego than they're more driven by problem solving. That's just my perspective. I hope that's not offensive. No, no, I totally understand that. And that sort of like leads into my next question, which is, um, we've been asking a lot of women across the state this, but why is it important to have women represented in elected government? What do they bring to the table? Well, we're, we're the majority of the electorate, and um, we should have a voice. Um, I had a conversation with the new chairman um, down in Claremont County, and he's really energized because he goes into um, high schools and he talks about the party, and he says to some of the young women there, you know, we have a, a female chairman, and he wants to have an event down in Claremont County where he has me, um, potentially someone from uh, Washington, D.C., and um, to encourage more women to say that conservative women have a voice and, and you should, if you're a conservative woman, you should get involved with the party. Do you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for State House Happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. 
From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting Capital Letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. So let's talk about women and the Republican Party. So Jane Timken, right, is the first female chair of the Ohio Republican Party. And when she, she chatted with us, she told us that she wants more women to run for officers, Republicans. That's a priority of hers, which is interesting because that's not necessarily how Republicans have approached recruiting candidates. Right. There is this kind of tension where I think that they are very sensitive to sort of not playing identity politics. It's something they criticize Democrats for. And uh, in the past, there is a tradition in Ohio of Republican women holding uh, significant offices in the last 25 years. We had Joanne Davidson, we've mentioned before on this show, who was the Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives in the late 90s, the mid-2000s. You had Betty Montgomery, who uh, ran for and was attorney general. She was state auditor and she ran for governor and lost. But those are the two women who really come to mind just sort of off the top of my head. Well, and I think the interesting thing is like whenever you ask anybody involved in politics, like why aren't there more women? Well, they'll say, well, what about that woman or that woman or that woman? And I think that's the problem, right? Because they can point to a handful of women who have held, you know, positions of power in the party. So there's been one, there's been two, there's been three, but you know, there've been dozens, hundreds of men holding positions of power. And so like when you ask them the woman question and they're like, well, that's not really fair. Like we've had a couple of women, like it's, it's just kind of funny. And you see that in Republican circles and Democratic circles, too. They're like, oh, well, like, we have a woman or we have two women. We have several women. Um, And that's sort of their, like, you know, we're doing okay sort of justification. Yeah. And so there's been incremental progress there. But then, you know, like we said earlier, if you look back, there are zero women who are Republicans who represent Ohio in Congress. Um, The statistics are they're far in the minority in the state house. And if you look at race by race, I think there's one incumbent Republican state senator who's running for re-election this year. And if uh, I think the number, like you said, is in the 20s in the state house of representatives. So, so like Andrew, like this has been dubbed like the year of the woman. Like more and more women, especially on the Democratic side, have been politically active and you know have tried to seek office. So how is that working out in Ohio? Are we going to see more female representation in the state after the 2018 election? Well, so I want to use Mary Taylor's example first off, um, because we obviously had her as a guest. So she actually made things difficult for herself politically when she backed Jane Timken back in 2016 after the election over Matt Borges, who is John Kasich's guy. Kasich had kind of pledged her, his support to Mary uh, in exchange for her appearing on his ticket. And so she basically kind of burned that bridge by doing that. So then from that point forward, she was the sole woman in the governor's primary. There were three male candidates. And so there is this thing where being a woman actually can be a a positive thing. You know, you can appeal more to women voters who are a significant part of the electorate. You stand out more on a list of just men if people are just trying to pick a name out of a hat kind of thing. So there is this sort of like inherent advantage in doing it. But she basically... Um, you know, she got out and maneuvered in that race. And actually, uh, Timken tried to encourage her to get into the Senate primary after Josh Mandel dropped out. She declined to do so, and kind of the race played out the way that it did. So it's one of those things where, and we're going to kind of continue this. We don't want to beat into the ground, but there are specific political things that you can point to to say, yeah, like she messed up there or this wasn't ever going to happen. But uh, again, you just when you take it out and apply it in a universal sense, um, it speaks back to those kind of like institutional advantages that men can have when it comes to sort of like the political capital they earn, the social networking they can do, the encouragement they have to run in the first place, the people they know and that kind of stuff. You know, I guess my other question with Mary Taylor, she, if I'm remembering correctly, sort of employed the the boys club um, clapback at uh, Mike DeWine. Was that successful? Like, was that a uh, I, I guess she lost, right? So obviously her campaign as a whole wasn't successful. But do you find that that sort of like Mike DeWine boys club like 
criticism did that catch on at all i think it's a good message just the good old boys club it's it has that sort of like gendered aspect to it that it speaks to specifically what you're talking about and people can hear it in that way and it also talks to kind of like the old guard um I guess the word old is there too. And Mike DeWine is an older candidate. So there's that sort of subtle thing too. But then also it is the old guard. The uh, It's kind of like the entrenched incumbent, the swamp, all of that stuff. I mean, so I think all of that tied up, it's actually good. I, I think a big reason why Mary lost, uh, one is that I don't think that the Ohio electorate is as conservative. And I don't think doing the, the sheer renegade conservative message necessarily works, or at least there's not a huge track record of that working statewide. But I think the big thing was that Mike DeWine just had a ton of money and a ton of campaign supporters and just he was able to out outmaneuver her just sort of as far as like the ground game stuff goes. Do you think that huge network of support and that huge amount of money that he was able to amass, do you think that's connected to this sort of boys club metaphor that Mary was going with? Well, he's been in office for 40 years. But again, you have to look back to like that entrenched sort of advantage that benefits men. And he's, you know, that's not to say that Mike DeWine is sexist or that he doesn't deserve the thing that he's gotten or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, he, he's had this huge head start, um, literally and sort of like metaphorically. And that's something that male candidates benefit from. Okay. We've heard from Jane Timken. She said she wants to build the bench of um, young conservative women who want to run for office. Like we've talked about Mary Taylor. She's been a player in Ohio politics for you know more than a decade. Are there any young Republican women who are sort of up and comers that you can think of that, um, you know, have a viable political future? I mean, I sort of think uh, of Christina Hagan, who lost a congressional primary uh, this May. Yeah, Christina Hagan has a lot of political talent. She's articulate. She is a good communicator. Uh, I think that she represents her district well as far as the political makeup goes, where she's um, she's from a conservative district. I do think that a conservative message obviously works in Ohio. It's a pretty conservative state. So yeah, I think she's got a future ahead of her. Um, she kind of disappointed people in the party, though, where she was running against Anthony Gonzalez, who is a Cuban uh, American descendant. And uh, basically, we've talked about it on this podcast. Um, we asked Jane Timken about it. She tweeted a story about a, some illegal immigrants who were arrested for doing something. And one of them was named Gonzalez. And that was the person that she called attention to in this tweet. And so it was a not really subtle attempt to basically call attention to the race of her opponent in some way that she thought might be benefit her in her race. So that's uh, kind of like something that I think she's going to have a hard time kind of moving on from. But at the same time, and that goes back to what we were saying, where these candidates maybe kind of mess something up. But at the same time, um, when you kind of apply it in the universal sense, it, it can, it's a problem. So actually, we haven't had Sarah LaTourette on this show. Um, her dad was Steve LaTourette, who's a congressman from Geauga County. Uh, and, Republican? Yes. And she is in the leadership right now in the Ohio State House. And I think that she's somebody who um, is connected enough to make it happen. I think that you hear... Good things about her. I've actually not met her personally. I don't cover the state house, so I'm not as familiar with kind of like the current crop down there. But uh, you do see that there are women who are in leadership positions down there, and um, certainly there are opportunities for them. So I guess my other question is right. So we're hearing that the Ohio Republican Party wants to elevate women and help recruit women candidates. I mean, do you think that's just like nice, pleasant talk, or do you think that that's something that you know? we're going to start seeing. I guess sort of like the proof is in the pudding or whatever that saying is. It's in the tasting. It, it sounds so weird when you actually say it the way it's supposed to be. But anyways, I guess we won't know until it happens. Um, we won't know until we eat the chocolate pudding. Exactly. Um, you know, and actually the saying I think is British and like what they call pudding is totally not pudding. But uh, I digress. Uh, British baking show. Yeah. Do you watch that? Uh, I do. It's yeah. a good show. It is a good show. Um, so, okay, so we've kind of gone through the sort of like Republican makeup um, or women in the Republican Party, but I kind of want to shift more to the Democratic Party because... Before we move on, yes, just one final thought about Republican women. I mean, so in other congressional races this year in Republican primaries uh, for Ohio 12, which is central Ohio, you had um, Melanie Lenigan almost win that race. And actually, there's sort of like this concerted effort to stop her because she was very conservative. And there was a concern that she was unelectable for that reason. Um, and then there's also Carol O'Brien, who's the Delaware County prosecutor. I wasn't following her campaign very closely from up here in Cleveland, but I know her from the past. She's very competent. She's an able public servant, and stuff like that. But she's not the most charismatic person. She sort of like lets her work speak for herself. So again, you can point to like these reasons why people lost. But again, 
you had uh, two women in that race who who, who lost. And so, um, and finally, uh, we'll maybe make this sound smoother in editing, but Mary Taylor, I think, has a future. Um, I think she has a lot of talent. Um, she has the resources. I think she does have a financial network. It might not be as, as deep and, and wide ranging as somebody like Mike DeWine, who used to be in Washington, D.C. And, and has personal wealth that he can draw from and stuff like that. But I don't think we've seen the last of her. Uh, you see that she's kind of been reemerging a little bit on social media and doing some like TV appearances and stuff like that. So I wouldn't rule her out. I guess I, when you asked me, you know, who are some up and comers? She's kind of somebody who's been around, but at the same time, I, I think that this, there's still a story there. Um, so we've talked a lot about Republican women, but I want to talk to you about uh, Democratic women and how Democratic women play into the party and what their representation looks like in Ohio and in 2018. So um, let's start with the governor's race, the primary this year, because there were a lot of Democratic women in say January running for governor and now there are none. Yeah, and, and sort of to your point, I think that the Democratic Party likes to kind of carry itself more as being the party of women. It's I think it's easier right now, frankly, as an opposition party to President Trump, who's obviously faced accusations from women for sexual assault and that kind of thing. Um, but if you look at the leadership of the Democratic Party, a lot of the key positions are still held by men, like the party chairman, um, some of the union officials who have high-level uh, influence within the party, the donors, um, a lot of the county party chair people who, who are influential statewide. So they have the same types of problems sort of institutionally, um, you know, uh, that Republicans face. But obviously, you know, the, we have three of our four Democratic congressional members in Ohio are women. They have a lot more candidates sort of just kind of across the board. Um, and, um, you know, so they have some things kind of working in their favor, too. But you had the governor's race this year. So there was Nan Whaley, who's the mayor of Dayton. You had Betty Sutton, who's a former congresswoman. Um, and then you had Connie Pillich, who's a former state representative from the Cincinnati area. Joe Schiavone, who's a state senator we had on this podcast. You had Bill O'Neill, the sort of the Supreme Court justice uh, extraordinaire. And then, of course, Richard Cordray, who basically, when he got in the race, he, he cleared the field. I mean, you had Dennis Kucinich, too, right, who sort of emerges like basically the main secondary candidate in that race. But uh, but you did have these three women who were running for a long time, and you essentially had a bunch of men show up late and just kind of blow them out of the water. Yeah. And I think looking back at their fundraising numbers, I mean, they, they couldn't really even compare to what Rich Cordray was able to raise, you know, in a matter of weeks. Right. And, and there is, there's of course, again, like this argument that Rich Cordray probably was their best candidate as far as the network that he had in, in fundraising. He had a story to tell from his time at the Consumer Protection Bureau. He has a relationship with Liz Warren, who I think obviously is going to be a national player in uh, politics in 2020. So there are just sort of these factors that worked in his field. And I'll say, um, I was pretty disappointed that Nan Whaley wasn't able to kind of get more traction. I think that a big part of um, uh, the way that uh, political stories kind of go, they're all narrative driven. And I thought that she had a good story to tell about, you know, being a mayor in Dayton, about the challenges the area faced. I thought some of her early communications, like campaign wise, were really good. And she just kind of didn't catch on. And we had her on the show. Yeah, she's she's very personable, and I do not think that she is going away anytime soon. I definitely see her having a future in Ohio politics. She's close to Sherrod Brown, um, the Democratic senator. But I kind of want to go back to something that you said. You know, Rich Cordray, you said, was the best candidate. And I think that, you know, parties in, in the primary po uh, process are obviously looking to um, elevate the best candidate. But it seems like so often the woman isn't the quote best candidate and I kind of just wanted to get into that because like I find that really interesting because like you know for whatever reason there are three or four issues with women candidates often and they you know fall and mostly it has to do with fundraising so we had Nan Whaley on the show. We had Ka Kathleen Clyde, who's a state representative from Northeast Ohio on as well. Um, Kathleen's running for Secretary of State and uh, it should be said that she's uh, mounting a very competitive race. I mean, we talk about fundraising. Um, she's raised a ton of money. I don't know that she's outraised Frank LaRose, the Republican that raised. Yes, she, she has. has. Yes. So, um, and that's interesting because LaRose, you know, his family has a lot of money. He has a lot of connections that he made from working with uh, the Kasich group kind of over the years. So she's mounting a really formidable campaign this year. 
So let's let's play them back. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to what they had to say when we asked them about this stuff, and then we'll kind of go on with this conversation. Uh, the other thing we want to talk about, um, you know, throughout the interview, you've kind of expressed some frustration that, you know, some of the up-and-coming politicians that we're seeing in Ohio are all men, you know. How do we encourage more women to run for office in Ohio? I mean, we've talked about this before. I know it's an issue that you're passionate about. How do we get more women candidates through the primary and supported by the party apparatus? Yes, yeah, so I think I think uh, through the governor's race, there was a lot learned about this. I never did, I think, the, the party apparatus or the women of the state think that they're going to have three women running for governor. Uh, and it was difficult, right, because typically – you know, there's one female, and then all the women support that female, and then move forward. And so this was a really, you know, hard hard time for the women across the state. And I think they've learned a lot about it. And you're seeing some really great things happen from that. Um, first, even before the governor's race, you saw the Matriots coming out of Columbus, uh, which, you know, I think, I think could be really significant uh, if managed and, you know, um, led really well. It could, it could be a game changer for women in politics in Ohio. Uh, so I think that's one thing that's, that's changed. I think, too, um, there was just a lot of um, understanding and learning in the primary process for women. Like, you know, a lot of the women didn't want to didn't endorse because there were three women. And so then what happened then is there were no women because women wouldn't decide. And um, having conversations afterwards, there's been a lot of like, I would have done that differently. And I and like me too, like in the governor's race, I would have pushed harder on that. That's a lesson, you know, I took away from it. Um, So I think that we'll be better off because of it. And, you know, that's my big takeaway, Mary, is that, you know, more women just need to run. And the more we get, the more we'll break through this and the more the establishment will change. And you're seeing uh, good signs because of the national context. I was down in Butler County, which is in between Dayton and Cincinnati. It's one of the most conservative counties in the, uh, in the state, but we pay great attention to it because a lot of people live there. And so the raw vote numbers are high in Butler. And um, every single one of their state reps, they had, no, uh, they had no primaries in Butler County, but every single state rep candidate and their state senate candidate were women like only women, you know, running in these races uh, down there. So I think you're seeing some of that. And that's, um, that's very exciting. I talk probably once a week to a woman running for state rep uh, that just decided she had enough and she's going to run and she like, what does she need to do? So there's this um, fabric now. And I mean, some of these folks aren't going to win. I'm not pretending that but that still is making a difference in the next race and the next time. So you know, I th- and I think there's just a lot of conversation among women about okay, you know, both in the um, in the big P political side and in the grassroots and in these indivisible groups. And then, you know, the, uh, through this Matriots group, I think there's some of that happening and then in communities as well. So so I'm, I'm more hopeful now than ever. And I, I was in Ashland University and one of the women that uh, I had met on the campaign asked me to like sit on her panel for her thesis. And, you know, in a weird way, I think Hillary Clinton losing will put more women in the system than if Hillary Clinton won. And I think that that is something that people really never anticipated. But I think that will be Hillary's legacy is actually the number of people and number of women actually saying, well, no, we all got to go do something and, and we have to put our names and be on the line and run for office. So I'm hopeful about that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There has been a huge amount of political energy, mostly on the Democratic side among women, you know, after Hillary Clinton lost. Right. I, I don't think anybody was anticipating that um, at all. I think you're right. You know, you mentioned, you know, I, I spoke to you in late last year and right. there were three women running for governor. Right. And you were one Back of in them. the day. <laughs> so long ago. There were three women running for governor uh, on the Democratic side, and and now there are none. And I'm curious for your candid thoughts. Do you think the Democratic Party does a good job at elevating women candidates and supporting women candidates? Uh, probably not. I, I think because you're talking about an establishment that is mostly male, you know, it doesn't. It you know, it just it's it's so focused on the win and like how to manage through that. It's not like you know, the, being a woman is a secondary priority to like the establishment and I and I, I, don't, I don't blame them I mean we, I want us to win too so like if we win with a man we win you know I, I so I'm not like mad about it or anything like that I think it's up to women and um, women that are leaders in the communities to like start building this I also think like the party apparatus doesn't matter as much anymore just because of the way funding works and campaigns 
Um, you know, when I started in the 90s, you could do coordinated campaigns and the way the funding worked, you had to move through the party because of Citizens United, which I think could break our democracy. The party system is now like a secondary thought. The, the value, and I listened to Jerry's, um, Jerry Austin's podcast on here, and he said, you know, the value of the party is when the party's in power. And I think that's right. You know, of course, the Republican Party, the Ohio Republican Party is very valuable because they have the governor. And, you know, when we win in November, the Democratic Party will be very important because we'll have the governor. But until that happens, it's not that important, unfortunately. I know that you mentioned, too, like you just want to win and, you know, because of the way the structure is, there are more men, and it's, it's like the power of incumbency. The, because there are more men in elected office, you know, it's much easier for men to win, um, or perhaps you know, gather the support around them to to be the you know anointed candidate or whatever you want to call it. Do you think the sort of wait your turn mentality is hurting women candidates? I, I don't. I just don't feel like we have that. I mean, if you look at our if you look at our slate. You know, we have uh, Kathleen Clyde, who's, is, I think she's probably the youngest person on the ticket, right? She's a woman. I think, I don't, like, I got some wait your turn on the mayor's race, and, you know, the, but the Democratic Party in Dayton endorsed me, which I, I think is a comment on just how amazing they are, frankly, because most, you know, most would stick with their generation, but for them to go to the next generation is a whole different interesting concept of what's happening in Dayton. Uh, but I never, I never really felt that. Uh, I felt that more among the women than I did the men. You know, like if you think about the three candidates, I was the youngest woman. You know, I, I you know, I probably was a bit of a spoiler for the women. Uh, you know, I didn't really realize that going in the race, and so it was like, you know, from the women, I think there was a more of a who does she think she is, being a young woman running, than from the men. Um, and I think that's the other thing that's kind of the dirty little secret about this women stuff is that. You know, a lot of times it's harder among women than it is among men. And I think that's the challenge that we have uh, moving this movement forward. Um, how, do we, how do we really support each other in a way that isn't, isn't so mean girlish, and I, I, for <laughs> lack of a better word. So right. I don't have an answer for that yet, but I felt that, I felt that wait your turn more from women than I did men, actually, in the governor's race. Before we move on and talk about your race a little bit more, uh, you you are a woman in the Ohio State House with status. You know, you're obviously you're an elected official, and you also were a rank and file employee before you uh, ran for office. Uh, what did you think about all the sexual harassment stories that came out? You know, over the course of the last year, and how, how did that compare to sort of your experiences, sort of being in different you know capacities down there? It's troubling. I think that uh, this is what happens when uh, you have such a male-dominated legislature and government. And it has been frustrating to see how this, you know, that there are women that are experiencing uh, harassment in the state house. Uh, The response to it has not been very strong uh, from the leaders in the state house. And what I hope to be a part of is a wave of women around the country who are running for offices, whether it be Secretary of State, whether it be State Representative, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, a township trustee. We need to see more women in elected office, and I think that in Ohio, especially, our numbers are are low in our state house. And if we can get more women there, I think we would see a more uh, balanced group, and you would see a lot less of these problems that uh, the state house is currently experiencing. There's been a lot of talk about this wave of women running sort of in the wake of Me Too and the wake of, you know, Hillary Clinton's defeat. Um, but, you know, nobody has we, we've gone through primaries, but, you know, it's not Election Day yet. We don't know whether or not this wave of women is actually going to get elected. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, whether or not you think that this is real, whether or not we're actually going to see more women elected come November and, and in elected office? I do think that you know not all of these women candidates are going to win, but I think a number of them will, and I think our numbers are going to improve. And I think that 
the momentum hopefully will continue for uh, women as you see more women running and winning it I think it inspires other women to consider running themselves and they can picture themselves in those offices when they see that there are women who are serving so you know I'm hopeful for 2018 and you know I'm proud to be a statewide candidate that's a woman and I think you are the only statewide candidate um, who's female yeah we do have um, Betty Sutton who is a, a great candidate and we have uh, Supreme Court justice uh, candidates who are women but yes I wish I wish it were uh, more even and there were more women running statewide but I hope to you know win this office and start to work to change that and to see more women get into Ohio government at all levels. What thoughts or critique would you have of the Ohio Democratic Party um, promoting women? Have they done a good job, you know, asking women to run for office and encouraging women to run for office? Um, What more should, you know, they be doing? We should always be doing more when you see, you know, the numbers and they're, they're not reflective of the electorate in Ohio. I think the Ohio Democratic Party is working hard to recruit good candidates. Uh, They are working to recruit women candidates. We see a number of them in our uh, congressional races, in our state house races, Uh, but, but we need to be doing more. And that's something I hope to, you know, as a state representative, I've worked hard to do that. I'm excited that I recruited a a strong woman candidate to take over my seat, uh, hopefully. And that's how I've always been. I like to work with women candidates and uh, newly elected women office holders. And I think I'll have more ability to do that from a statewide position uh, to really push that in the party and uh, continue to, to do that work myself. All right, so we've talked about women who have lost races in Ohio this year. Um, But this is, you know, supposed to be the year of the women. So what does it look like? What are women's chances in Ohio in 2018? Are we going to see more women elected to offices this year than than we would normally? So uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but kind of going down the line, you have about 45 of the 99 state house representative races that have women candidates in the race. 11 are incumbents. So I think there's a good chance that number will go up. You know, we're not going to get to 50-50 by any means. Um, I think that the picture is looking less good in the state Senate. Um, but then, so like kind of kind of going down the line, you do have some women running for uh, some congressional seats. And I guess to answer your question sort of briefly, I don't think that <laughs> it doesn't look that good. <laughs> so, and again, you kind of see like this thing playing out and perpetuating. Um, uh, Susan Moran Palmer uh, is running uh, against Anthony Gonzalez for the Ohio 16th seat. It's Jim Renacci's old seat. He gave it up to run for governor. Um, and uh, Susan actually had sort of an interesting dynamic play out in her primary. Um, she definitely uh, campaigned aggressively within sort of like the uh, the campaign trail as far as like town hall meetings and VFW halls and kind of like that, you know, uh, retail politicking kind of stuff that played out in that race. She didn't really raise any money, though. She did a really a grassroots campaign. And um, I think that she actually probably benefited from being the only woman in that race. And she she won um, over uh, particularly another male candidate who had more money. And so now moving forward, she's actually raised money, uh, money very poorly. Uh, she's raised approximately $30,000 now for the the general compared to Anthony Gonzalez's number. That's definitely seven figures somewhere. So she's at a huge disparity and I just have a hard time seeing her come up with that. Um, so she's probably looking like she's in trouble for the uh, general. Yeah, I, I think it's basically a, a slam dunk for Gonzalez. And that's, you know, not to say that she doesn't, she's a very impressive person when you meet her, but people in a big congressional district don't, can't meet you. There's, you know, thousands of people and you just, it all comes down to money because you have to be able to communicate with people on a mass basis. So 
Um, again, it goes back to we have 12 male Republican members of Congress in Ohio, and that's just like a big number. Um, but some of it is just sort of like the, the advantages that incumbents face, and especially in Ohio where the districts are so heavily gerrymandered and very few are actually competitive races. Well, and that's a that's a problem that women candidates face overall, the power of incumbency, yeah. because there are so many men already in elected office. Incumbents have like a huge advantage over their opponents who, you know, are either, you know, new to politics or, you know, don't have the name recognition that an incumbent may have. Um, and so when women run for open seats, which means obviously there is no incumbent, they have the same chance as anybody as winning. It's just when they're up against incumbents, they're facing, you know, sort of the power of incumbency. Right. Yeah. So those those things that you do to sort of like entrench your power also has the effect of, you know, discouraging women from running just as just because like all challengers, you know, they're sort of uh, the, the system is self-maintaining. So kind of uh, moving out of the congressional races, though, again, to go back to Kathleen Clyde. I think she has a good chance of winning that race. Um, you know, like we said before, she's raised a bunch of money. Um, she, I think, has has done a good job at tapping into sort of like where the energy is of Democratic politics. Um you know, I guess the real problem is that with um, statewide races, it's so much of it for anybody. Down ticket is basically dependent on how people do at the top. But if you look back in 2006, which was a very good Democratic year, Mary Taylor was the only Republican to win that year. And again, it goes back to sometimes being the woman on the ballot can be helpful as far as differentiating yourself, um, despite all the other disadvantages you might have. So, um, you know, if you're to look at uh, a good opportunity for a, a woman to be elected to statewide office, I think that's that's your best bet. Of course, Betty Sutton is lieutenant governor, but I guess, you know, people are electing Rich Cordray. It's, it's the, the first name there. So I guess we don't want to sell her short. At the same time, Betty Sutton is a really interesting uh, seasoned politician. Um, and I think that she does add value to the Cordray ticket. And I can understand why he chose Sutton because she is a very, like I said, seasoned politician. She's served in, I think, almost every level of state government. Um, and she's like very delightful to sit down and chat with. You can see her being a, um, a good campaigner. Um, yeah, she has union connections too, which is really key for Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Kathleen Clyde, like she's basically been the democratic party's, um, choice for their secretary of state candidate since probably 18 months ago. Yeah, and they've, and they've done a good job, by the way. We we're talking about grooming candidates and sort of the, the work that you have to put into it. And she's someone that um, is basically, you know, tailor-made to be an elections official. She has a very good background for it. And so I think that that's an example of, you know, I, I think it all comes down to if she loses, then we've seen in the past where some Democrats who have run statewide, they lose, they never really come back. I don't, I don't see that happening with her, but I guess it does speak to the importance of you do have to win one of these to, to use as a springboard. But I think that that could be a good, you know, there's a good long-term future there. She is a very, Kathleen Clyde is a very, very qualified candidate. I think the Secretary of State's race, like, you know, this is sort of an aside, but we've talked about how Clyde and her opponent, Frank LaRose, are both, you know, very qualified, very competitive candidates. And I think Clyde, like, that she's a woman is is not a disadvantage to her at all I, I don't even think it um personally I don't think it should be a factor in the race at all but if anything I think it will be um something unique about her I guess so doubling back I guess um back to Nan Whaley you know looking at who the long-term future leaders of in Ohio politics might be um she uh, if you go back and listen to her, she's very personable. And that's something that you always hear about everybody who talks to her is that people just like her if you work with her. And I think that also comes through um, when you communicate with voters kind of in a more macro sense. Um, so I, you know, I haven't talked to her about this, so I'm not like, you know, uh, not calling my shot or anything like that. But you could see her running for something like Senate in 2022 and Rob Portman's going to be running for reelection, um, you know, uh, and whatever it is, you could see her sort of, you know, having a having a play in politics, you know, in the future. We always ask politicians, like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And they always like laugh delightfully and like totally demure. Yeah, you don't answer that question, Mary. Come on. Um, but I could totally see that, too, especially like since she's, you know, close with Sherrod Brown. Um, and she is like uh, 
she's just very congenial and nice and not nice. I'm going to like take that back because that's an adjective that people use to describe women and it's sort of like generic and I think I can do better than that. She is like a very down to earth real person. And yeah, and a big part of being a, being in politics is not seeming like you're acting like a politician, but that you're just being yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think she's she's good at that. So looking forward to November, right, we're talking about women candidates who actually have a shot at winning anything. And, you know, a lot of these down-ticket candidates or congressional candidates, a lot of their success depends on the popularity of the top of the ticket, which is... For Democrats, Rich Cordray and Sherrod Brown, and for Republicans is Mike DeWine. Um, so, well, I actually have sort of like a, a different thought about that. Um, so, Sherrod Brown has a very good chance of being reelected. He's facing Jim Renacci, who's uh, has some disadvantages, you know, including the incumbency stuff that we were talking about. There's some other stuff too, but so you could see Sherrod Brown if he were to win convincingly that there will be buzz for him to maybe run for something in 2020, whether it's vice president, whether it's president, I don't really think he's, I don't get the sense that he's interested in doing that per se, but, or at least he's not making these moves that you see other people do who are kind of uh, lining that sort of thing up. That being said, um, it's actually, he weirdly on a national scene might actually be disadvantaged by sort of being this old white guy in a race that at least early on is, uh, you see women like Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren um, and some others kind of being elevated. So it's just sort of like an interesting byproduct of this is that kind of projecting it out on a national level, being a man can sort of in some ways be a weakness, despite the fact that men are all, every president has always been one. But it's just, it's like an interesting dynamic to play out. And I, I do think that there is a disconnect in Ohio where you do see uh, women being elevated in other states and, and, and sort of on the national stage too, whereas uh, Ohio's kind of behind the curve on it. But the problem is everywhere, right? It's in every state across the country, there is a deficit um, and there's a gender gap. And I think Nevada right now may have a chance to um, make women the majority of their state legislature, which would be huge. I think the national average is around like 25% for women representation in state government. Um, I think... Ohio is kind of in the middle of the pack, like not the worst, not the best. Um, and I think everybody, when you ask them the woman cr- question, right, because it is the woman question, they're like, oh, we could do better. But it's kind of figuring out how to do that. Um, and I think in Ohio in 2018, um, the sort of most likely candidate who's will be able to do that um, statewide is Kathleen Clyde. I think it's uh, sort of, and maybe we'll either edit this in really smoothly or it'll just sort of be this disjointed thought to throw in at the end. But um, I think that, you know, we're having this conversation about it just seems like it's good to have women. It just seems fair, right? But it's also kind of like, I think it's a winning message. It's a winning thing to do. There's a practical reason why you want to do it. And that's because, you know, you see here in 2018, I think that there is an appetite for women candidates. You see it kind of playing out nationwide. And yet um, many of the parties or just the political process weren't actually able to deliver one. And so that's like a mismatch of supply and demand. But then kind of long term, um, having uh, obviously drawing from your complete talent pool out there, the labor force or whatever, you by recruiting women candidates help you get the best and the brightest and help make sure that parties are viable and kind of moving forward um, that they're, they're in their best positional or their best possible position long term. Yeah. And I think we've talked a lot about the problem, right? There aren't enough women candidates and they face challenges along the way when they're campaigning. But we haven't really explored the like, why? Like, why is it important to have women in politics? Like, why is it important to have women in elected office? Um, And I think the reason is women are half of the population. They bring uh, perspective um, that men don't have. They're moms. They're working professionals. They're uh, women represent 51% of Ohio's population. If they're not at the table when we're making legislative decisions, 
or making decisions about which way Ohio is going to go, then we're missing out on half of the population's perspective and a diverse uh, array of opinions. I mean, there are Republican women, there are Democratic women, there are women who are moms, there are women who are not moms. Like, we're missing out on all of those perspectives when we don't elevate women to run for office. And that's the problem, right? Because if women aren't in the room, then we're missing out on those life experiences. The other thing that I've heard from women politicians as as to what like women bring to the table, they they talk about how like women help build consensus um, when there is um, disagreement in in a room. And I think that's an important attribute to have, certainly not to say that men don't also have that ability, but um, I've heard from women politicians that oftentimes women are more likely to work across the aisle and, you know, um, you know, communicate more effectively um, instead of getting, you know, angry um, about disagreement. Um, again, that's not to say that men can't do that too um, at all, but that is a quality that I've heard that, that women politicians sort of bring so to kind of wrap it up, you know, in the year of the women, uh, we've talked to some women candidates on here. We've explored this issue, Mary especially, all year. And um, like I, like we said, there, there's a disconnect there. So, But it'll be interesting to see if maybe some of these women challengers that are out there running for congressional seats maybe make more noise than we expect. You know, it's, it's always unclear how these things are going to play out until they actually happen. So we'll be uh, make sure to keep a keen eye open to that. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week.